Is the law sin? Because some folks will have you believing that keeping the law is falling from grace, as if the law is sin. The law is not sin. The law is holy. Why? Father gave it. The law is righteous. Why? Father gave it. The law is just. Why? Father gave it. He gave it to a people so that they can judge righteously. They can judge justly. You can't take on the mind of Messiah without the mind of God. The mind of God is his commandments. How are you going to think like him and you reject him? You can't. So he gives us his instructions because he's saying, Israel, here is the instructions you are going to govern yourself by. These are the rules. Don't add to them. Don't take away from them. Why? Because they're perfect. Just do what it says and you will live. Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the gospel according to Matthew. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. The subject of eternal life was a cause for concern for many Hebrew Israelites in the days of Yeshua the Messiah. All four gospel narratives covered the subject of eternal life, and Yeshua teaches on eternal life extensively in his connection with the law. Contrary to popular teaching, the subject of eternal life did not originate in the New Testament, but was a concern prior to the advent of Messiah. Most seminary-taught theologians, denominational preachers, and teachers failed to make the connection of Yeshua's coming and teachings to the fulfillment of what was written in the Law, the Prophets, and the Writings concerning Him. In this portion of Matthew, after Yeshua spoke on the subject of children coming to Him, a rich young ruler asked Yeshua a specific question concerning eternal life. Yeshua's response to this very specific question on eternal life is one that all of Christendom should take note of. The message title in this podcast is Eternal Life and the Law. So, let's study. So we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 19, verses 13 through 30. And we're going to be talking about eternal life and the law. As we sent out in our email this week, the subject of eternal life was a cause for concern for many Hebrew Israelites in the day of Yeshua, the Messiah. I find it interesting even today that there are people who call themselves Hebrew Israelites that do not acknowledge Yeshua as the savior as the one that father sent all four gospel narratives cover the subject of eternal life and Yeshua's teachings on eternal life extensively in his connection with the law. Contrary to popular teaching, the subject of eternal life did not originate in the new Testament, but was a subject of concern prior to the advent of Yeshua. And it's important, brothers and sisters, for us to understand that when we look at the New Testament, even based on the theological teachings of many today, that when they say 
the church was born on the day of Pentecost, then we have to acknowledge that the events that took place in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is Old Testament. Although the theologians put that line between Malachi and Matthew, but Matthew is as much a part of the Old Testament as one would consider it to be the New Testament, because if the day of Pentecost, the day that the Holy Spirit was given, is the day the Almighty established his church, then we have to acknowledge the fact that Yeshua is in the Old Testament. (laughs) Even from that. So when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you have to not necessarily think like a New Testament person like most of Christianity does, but you have to look at it in the context in which it is given. Most seminary taught theologians and denominational preachers and teachers failed to make that connection where Yeshua's coming and teaching to fulfillment of what was written in the law and the prophets and the writings. And so we're going to, again, take a look at some of this in this particular passage and make those connections because Matthew is going to reveal to us after Yeshua. And we're going to start off with dealing with those verses prior to the question that was asked concerning eternal life as it relates to the children. Then this rich young ruler comes and he asks Yeshua or he asked Yeshua a specific question. Now, when you see specific questions asked, because when we were dealing with Yeshua coming down off the Mount of Transfiguration and the man who had brought his son to his disciples who had remained down the mountain, we note that Peter, James, and John was up in the mountain and the rest of those disciples were down at the foot of the mountain, when the man came to bring his child to them and they couldn't cast out that spirit, those who were down there came to Yeshua and said, why couldn't we cast him out? A direct question. Yeshua's response, because of your unbelief. A direct answer. And then this kind, as some would add, comes by, you know, can't be cast out except by fasting and praying. Yeshua didn't, answer the question from that wise, it was the unbelief. Unbelief, brothers and sisters, is something that all of us deal with from time to time, even as people of faith. Now, I know that's hard for some of y'all to accept. I know it is. Because if you are honest with yourself, you know that every time you pray, what you ask for doesn't happen. Now, maybe every prayer you prayed operates or happens instantly. But if I'm honest with myself, there are times when I'm praying and I'm trusting and I'm believing. I've prayed for people who were sick and they died. I've prayed for people to get healed and they haven't necessarily received their healing yet. And it causes questions for me when it comes down to storms and speaking to the storms, you know, like we just prayed for that Ida to go back into the sea. Well, Ida came on shore. It doesn't cause my faith to waver, but it causes questions within me as to why it didn't happen when I spoke. And if I'm honest with myself, 
if you're honest with yourself, there are times when you pray that you're struggling in your mind at the time you're praying, whether or not what you're saying is going to happen at that moment. Maybe that don't happen to you. But see, I don't lie to me no more. If I'm going to be honest with anybody, I'm going to be honest with myself. That's first. And once I begin to address those things within me, then now I can begin to confront them and correct them. And where I experience success, I can testify and hopefully others will hear that testimony and apply the lessons I've learned or applied in those situations. That's the power of testimony. Today, we're going to be looking at a subject matter that hopefully will empower you so that you can actually begin to communicate this truth to people that you've been trying to reach for some time who just refused to get it. In verse 13, it says, then were there brought unto him little children that he should put his hands on them and pray. Now, this little passage, these few verses, we find in Matthew, we find in Mark, we find in Luke. And it's one of those moments where the disciples' actions are contrary to Yeshua. It's one of those moments when they do something that now he has issue with. They've been following him. They've heard his teachings, but here it says that people are bringing folks to Yeshua and the disciples are rebuking them. Think about that for a moment. We might say, well, they're, they're children. Well, brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. Do you know that babies can be filled with the Holy Spirit? There's evidence in the scripture. John was filled from with the spirit while he was in his mother's womb. So being filled with the spirit is not just for grown folk. It's not just for men. We have to grasp that there is not a Holy Spirit for women, a different Holy Spirit for men, a different Holy Spirit for children, a Holy Spirit for the first century folks, but a different Holy Spirit for the 21st century folks. Because what people will do is that they will operate in a whole nother mindset as if what took place in the first century believer's life is not the same Holy Spirit that is operational or accessible today. And this is one of those things that I had to deal with in my own head. Because you can limit the power of the Almighty, and even when you hear people say, you know, it's like, if I am a prophet, if I am an apostle, if I am called and sent by the Most High, then the words that I speak are just as authoritative as the words Peter, James, John, Paul, and all the rest of them speak. If you allow people to discredit you because you didn't write a book that they put in the Bible. Oh, you think you're Paul now? No, I'm Arthur. And the same Holy Spirit that operated in Paul's life is that is operating in my life. 
The same Holy Spirit that operated in Messiah's life is operating in your life. And if you allow yourself to put limitations on you and allow other people to put limitations on you, then you will never operate in the power of the Holy Spirit that's talked about in this word. People will try to diminish you, limit you, restrict you, and separate you from the very book that you believe. If you believe the stuff that's in this book, then what Yeshua said, the works I do, you shall do. Do you believe that? Because if you believe that, you will do that. And if you don't do that, you got to ask yourself what's hindering you. Because this is where you're going to find the unbelief. That's where you're going to find it. Now, I've been in conversations with, oh, you think you, you Paul. Well, Paul wrote books that's in the Bible. Okay. Did Paul have a different Holy Spirit? Hello? See, you won't admit it, but you got to accept the fact that you believe that. You may say you don't. But you got to accept the fact that you might believe that, that you don't see yourself as an authoritative person in the Holy Spirit. Because if you do, your words carry as much weight as any other person in the Bible. If they came from him, they are coming through you. If they are his words given to you, To speak to people, they are his words being spoken through you, no different than his word was spoken through Moses, Joshua, David, Daniel, any prophet in the Old Testament, any disciple in the New Testament, because it's the same Holy Spirit. Now, some of y'all looking at me like I'm crazy, like I got three heads. But see, I know there's unbelief. I've had to deal with my own. I struggle with my own unbelief, my own carnality, my own flesh. This flesh will get in the way. And you'll limit yourself by your failures. You'll limit yourself By your inabilities, you'll look at yourself and diminish yourself. Why you do that? Because that's what we've been taught. We've been taught this fake humility that's associated with Christianity and don't see ourselves as authoritative, which is why we find ourselves in the flesh most of the time. (laughs) Some of us don't think we can do it. And guess what? We start looking for other people to do it. Well, how come we don't see this? And how come we don't see that? Probably because you ain't doing this and that. Well, why? Maybe because you don't believe you can. Oh, let's get down to the real nitty gritty. Maybe you don't believe you can. And maybe you have flunked so many times you've given up. But I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, now is not the time to throw in the towel when it comes down to the Holy Spirit's operating in your life. Because you're going to need, with where we are and where things are going, the world has gone crazier since yesterday. Look at some of the people. Look at them. 
Look at some of our young people. They don't want nothing to do with this book. They spiritual. Some of them will go to church. Some of them have religion. But church is a Sunday thing or church is a Sabbath thing. And the rest of the week, they just flat up heathens. I see I got a tough crowd this morning. But brothers and sisters, we're going to have to face the reality of the world that we're in. Because I'm going to tell you now, the governments of the world, the establishments of the world, the great men of the world, they're scheming and plotting and trying to turn all of us into a herd so they can control the mentality, control the mindset, eliminate independent thinking, remove you from, you know, it's sad when I hear Believers talk about, well, we got to follow the science. Follow the science? Where is that in the Bible? The Bible tells me I need to follow Messiah. Well, you know, ask your doctor. Well, when did the doctor become my savior? The Bible tells me I'm supposed to acknowledge him in all my ways and he will direct my path. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. See, when you throw away the law, here's another thing about throwing away the law, because within the law, the Almighty said, listen to what he said now. If you keep these commandments, I will not put on you the plagues. I will not put on you those plagues that I put on the world. See, let me tell you something. Coronavirus cannot force itself into Jehovah's kingdom. Whatever is going on in the world, if you really believe he's in charge, then you also have to accept the fact that he's allowing it and that he's not powerless to deal with it. But if you don't understand the validity, the power of walking in the instructions that the Almighty has given, then he is not obligated to do anything for you. You could have faith in Jesus Christ all you want to. You'll go to heaven, but you might die a lot quicker if that's your belief. Are y'all with me today? I'm going to plow. I'm going to plow. I know this is, I know this is fallow ground, but I'm going to plow it. Because the scripture tells us that he will not put the plagues on his people who keep his commandments like he put on the Egyptians and like he put on the world. You see, can't no plague his kingdom, can't no plague plague his creation, can't no virus overrule him. Our protection is in him. Even as we're going to see in this passage, I better get on because otherwise time is moving and I'm just in the first three slides and I got a whole bunch more. This passage reveals one of those instances where Yeshua's disciples operated in opposition to him. They rebuked those who brought the little children to him, but Yeshua corrected them. And then Luke informs us that some of the little children were infants. This is what he says in Luke 18, 15. And they brought unto him also infants that he would touch them. But when his disciples saw it, they rebuked them. 
Now, what I see here in this picture is the more work Messiah does within the vicinities of wherever he goes, first of all, you know, the moment he steps into a particular area, the noise of his presence is spread. Next thing you know, you got folks coming from all different directions. And I can tell you right now, people then are no different than people now. You got mamas with their babies in their hands coming, saying, you know, lay hands on them. Anoint my child. Just touch him. Release some anointing on him. You know, when you got religious mamas with children and those mamas are there, you know, even in some of the churches that we've come out of, if a prophet or an apostle or a healer come, man, they bring them babies. They bring them babies. They want them babies dedicated. They want them babies baptized. They want those babies sealed and protected. Mamas then was no different. So they're bringing these children. They're bringing the infants. They're bringing everybody. And I can't imagine for the life of me what was going on in the disciples' minds to rebuke the children or to rebuke the people who were bringing the children. Verse 14, but Yeshua says, suffer little children and forbid them not. In other words, y'all stop it. Let the children come for of such is the kingdom of heaven. You see, the children would not have rebuked the parents for bringing them. And, and notice he's talking about little children. He's talking about infants. The only time children start rebuking their parents. Well, some, some children start real early because they'll cry and, and snatch themselves from them. And then they start talking, say no. And you as a parent, you got to say, boy, don't you say no to me. Girl, don't you say no to me. Yes, ma'am. No, (laughs) ma'am. Yes, sir. No, sir. You got it? Now, some people would call that abuse. I call it teaching them manners. You teach them their children. They don't run nothing. Now, I would advise going as far as my parents, boy, I bought you in the world, but I'll take you out. I mean, that's, 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 that's going, you know, that's, that's, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it worked for a lot of us because some of them end up taking their children out. Some folks get so hard headed and so it's either put them out or take them out. But any parent who let their children run them, are in for a lot of trouble because they will be tormented. Sad you got to lock your bedroom door to go to sleep with your children in the house. You got a son or a daughter you can't trust in your own home. That's a sad state of affair. You have to ask yourself, how do you get there? And no parent in this generation, but the way things are going, if these parents don't get a hold of these children, Letting children decide their own sexual identity, their own identity, their own, their own path. You neglect your responsibility as a parent if you do that and you don't deserve children. Just say it like that. You don't deserve them. You denounce and defy the instructions of the almighty who gave them to us, who says, train them up, teach them. Specifically, teach them my instructions. How can you have a Bible and just disregard the first half of it? So he says, don't suffer them. Leave them alone. Let them come. 
And he laid his hands on them and departed thence. And what should have been the lesson for the disciples when the children come, they too lay hands on them. Minister to the children. Don't hide them off in children's church somewhere because you want to hear the message. Well, teach them how to be disciplined in an environment so they can hear the message too. You won't find children's church in the Torah. You might find them in churches, but you won't find them in the Torah. Parents, tell your children, even the newborns, about Yeshua. Teach them from the time you start talking to them and tell them the stories of the Bible. Don't teach them fairy tales. Because I'm going to tell you something. A lot of the things that your parents were taught, they taught you. And if they're singing you lullabies, hmm, rock a baby on the treetop when the wind blows. Why, you, why your baby in a cradle on a treetop? That's stupid. And you're singing that to the child. And then they grow up and have children start singing that mess to them. Don't teach them fairy tales. Don't teach them myths. Let the world, that's for the world. That's not for the kingdom. We got too much truth. That fairy tale mess and those myths are not going to set your babies free. Because your babies has got the potential to receive the same Holy Spirit John the Baptist received in his mother's womb. Don't be teaching them to be double-minded, teaching them fairy tales and myths. The next thing you know, they want to dress up like SpongeBob. Ninja Turtles, witches and warlocks, celebrating Halloween. If you teach them the word, they'll be able to distinguish something wrong with this mama, daddy. And how are you going to dress your child up like a biblical character to participate in something wicked? That's confusion. Don't raise them up with iPads and cartoons. Video games without establishing the foundation of the word in them. See, your child is learning from the moment they are conceived, they are hearing in the womb, and when they come out, you know what they're doing? They're just observing. You watch a baby, they're watching. Why? Because they're in a world they got to adapt to, they got to figure this thing out. They come smart. They ain't stupid. Some babies come smart. They come filled with the wisdom of heaven. And all parents got to do is reinforce that wisdom from heaven or give them the world. And if you give them the world, you're going to raise worldly children who will become worldly adults. But if you give them the word, and I know, I know, I know people will say whatever they say. They can teach that stuff to their children. But you've been given a blessing, a responsibility, an obligation, and you have to take it serious. But you know what? If you don't take your relationship with him serious, you won't take their relationship with him serious. Because you're going to teach them what's in you. You got no choice. And they're going to watch and see if what you're saying line up with what you're doing. That's how smart they are. Next thing you know, they'll start mimicking you. They'll start doing what they see you do. 
saying what they hear you say. Children don't learn how to cuss in the streets. They learn that mess at home. They'll use the same language you use. They'll listen to the same songs you sing. And they'll start rapping if you rapping. But you start singing praises. You know, I know it's a little strange, but, you know, I see sometimes on the uh, Facebook, little ones praying, holding hands and praying. And it's like, you know, it seems fake, but I'd much rather see that than them doing the Michael Jackson grabbing their crotch and all that. Because the parents think that's cute. Don't teach or sing to them senseless nursery rhymes. Create rhymes. Create nursery rhymes from the scripture. Because it's going to challenge you as a parent. Teach them some songs you created. Because you know what? They're going to remember what you teach them. And many of us teach without speaking. It's our examples. Teach them courage. Teach them facts and faith, not fears, fictions, and myths. Go beyond Jesus loved me, this I know. Or Abraham had many sons. Challenge yourself to learn and teach them, and then etch the word in their memory. When you start teaching them to memorize stuff, etch the word in their memory. Train up a child, Proverbs 22, 6. In the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. And training up a child don't mean dragging them to church. It means teaching them, dedicate them, dedicate them to the most high, the one who gave them to you. Now, I wish I knew the stuff I know today. Then I knew enough to be a parent and to try to not be one of them absentee daddies. But if I knew the things that I know today, things would have been a lot different. But they are what they are. And what I can do is try to help other people, especially young people who are raising children, don't make the mistakes we made. Don't make the mistakes we made. And those of you who've made mistakes, you, give, you get opportunity to minister to your children and to your grandchildren. Don't make the mistakes you made with your children. Father gives you another opportunity, you know, share with them, teach them. Hmm. 1916, Matthew. And behold, one came and said unto him, good master, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? And here Yeshua is being approached by one who's calling him good. Not only good, but master, good teacher. They're calling him good in the sense, and Yeshua, what he's saying to him is that when it comes down to being good, then where does good come from? Because there's only one. And if you know what that means, you wouldn't be asking this question like this, but Yeshua see what is in his heart, because we're going to break this down for you. Matthew identifies the man as one came but later informs us that the one who came was rich further down the passage. Luke reveals the one who came was a ruler. 
which means that he was a ruler or leader. And a certain ruler asked him, saying, good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, the question you have to ask yourself, which is what I do when people ask questions, try to discern where is the question coming from? Because every question has an origin. That question is coming from somewhere within them. And oftentimes when people ask a question, you don't know where that question is coming from. But when you be able to discern where the question is coming from, then you'll be able to honestly, accurately answer the question. Because sometimes people test you with questions. But let's look at this man. The word Luke used indicate this man was a chief ruler, archon. He was a ruler, a commander, a chief, a leader. Now, if he's a leader, a ruler, a commander, a prince, a prince of the people, he should know the word. He should know it. The question, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? The origin, where is that question coming from? First, this is the first time in Matthew the subject of eternal life is mentioned. Now, I want to lay this out because eternal life is not spoken of in Matthew until chapter 19, and it did not come from Yeshua. Yeshua didn't bring the subject up, which says to me the man knew about eternal life before he came to Yeshua to ask him a question concerning eternal life. How would he know that if it didn't come from Yeshua? See, eternal life was a concern for people. Third, the knowledge of eternal life was a concern to the Hebrews before Yeshua came on the scene. And fourth, based on the question, the man was approaching eternal life from a works perspective, as if he could earn it, as if he could do something to have it. Maybe he could buy it. He's got money because I'm going to tell you something. There's some preachers out there and the Catholic church was built on Peter's Basilica was built on the idea of if you give somebody is going, there's an old saying every time the coffer ring a soul from purgatory spring. In other words, they created the idea of purgatory, this holding pattern for the sake of raising money from the loved ones of those who had gone into purgatory. So now they could buy their way into heaven. See, this is one of the issues Martin Luther had when he nailed those 95 theses to the door at Wittenberg is that you guys are misappropriating salvation and you're making it appear that people can buy the salvation of those who have died and gone into purgatory if their parents or their loved ones can now pay enough money, you can pray them into heaven. But it wasn't the Pharisees. They out there doing long prayers and praying for people 
if you really think about it, when Yeshua addressed them about how they were teaching traditions and how they were saying to the people, you know, if you gave money to the work of the kingdom or the work of the ministry or, or to the temple, then, you know, that money that you were obligated to help your parents with, you know, you would be freed from that obligation. Well, well, the money that is being given to the temple that was supposed to be given to the parents, who's going to benefit from that? The parents are not going to benefit from it. But those who are serving in the temple, those who are doing the work of the temple. See, it's a scam. And the traditions, because see, when you get into traditions, the moment you get into tradition, you create an industry. The traditions of Hanukkah has created an industry. The traditions of Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, has created an industry. Because now, these prayers, you got to have this item. Next thing you know, you're buying items for Hanukkah. You're buying items for Rosh Hashanah. You're buying items from all of the traditions because you'll see that these traditions are associated with practically all the feasts. Now to do Passover, you got to have a Haggadah. You got to have a Seder plate. You got to have Drydales and, and now you got the Hamatashans and, and, and I mean, it just creates a whole bakery industry. It creates a, a kosher food industry. Because now the food's got to be sealed by the rabbi. Otherwise, you can't eat it. Not if you are an observant. So I'm telling you, follow the money and you will see where these individuals oftentimes are coming from. Here, in this particular passage, Yeshua is not playing that. This fellow comes, says, you know, I got money. You know, it's almost in one sense, you could say, well, what he's really asking is how much, how much do I have to put in the coffer? How much? Because I'm going to tell you something. There are people who think they can buy salvation. You remember when we went through Acts and when Simon saw the Holy Spirit, it's like, how much that costs? Because I like to be able to do that. And when the prophets come and, and they, wanna, they want to release their anointing on you. Of course, now you got to get in the $5,000 line. See, all this stuff gets cloaked under religion. And, and Yeshua now, he's looking at it. First, this man is coming to me. He's talking about eternal life and how he can have it. So it's like, what do I need to do? Whose palms do I need to grease? How much money do I need to give? Now, he ain't saying that. But Yeshua's response is, well, if you really want to know what you got to do, it's going to cost you everything you got. That's what he's saying. It's going to cost you everything you got. Now, he does something that is totally unpharisaic or sadduceic. Don't give me the money. Go sell everything you have and give it to somebody else who need it. Don't bring it to me. 
Don't go sell your house and your car and your business and, you know, get all that money and come lay it at the great apostles feet. See, he didn't come from that angle. Eternal life, first of all, is a gift of, of God. It's a gift of Elohim. It can only be obtained through faith in Messiah Yeshua. Paul wrote, but now being made free from sin and become servants to Elohim, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Now we're going to see everlasting life and eternal life is the same thing. Life everlasting, everlasting life, eternal life. He says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Yeshua Messiah. The gift of who? The gift of who? The gift of Elohim. See, this salvation comes from Father in heaven through faith in Messiah Yeshua, whom he sent. Eternal life, everlasting life, and life eternal is one and the same, and only the righteous will enter life eternal. Now, this is a serious issue. Because in Matthew 25, 46, it says, and these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous. Now, for the religious person who would say there is none righteous, no, not one, then guess what they're saying? There will be nobody inheriting eternal life. There is a righteousness that must be obtained, and this righteousness is not obtained by work. It's obtained by obedience. Don't confuse work and obedience to being the same. Because work means you got to earn it. Obedience means that the one who gave it to you is basing his relationship with us on us obeying the instructions he give us. Righteous, the word, if you look it up in whatever Concordance, you look it up in, you're going to find that it's going to be associated with observing divine laws. Basically, it's going to be narrowed down to keeping the commands of Elohim. Why? Because he's the one who's righteous. His word is holy and righteous. And what makes us righteous is him walking in his word. You cannot be righteous apart from his word. You can be self-righteous. You can make yourself righteous by keeping your rules and regulations. Verse 33, here's what Yeshua said. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Well, what's his righteousness? His word. What word? His commandments. And all these things shall be added unto you. In John 17, 1 says, these words spake Yeshua and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come, glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, and Yeshua Messiah, whom thou hast sent. See, Marcion came along and began to put this division between the God in the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament being 
all about law, the God of the New Testament being all about grace. This is why many Christians, they don't even realize they do it, but they're praying to Jesus. You listen to him. Hold on, Lord Jesus. Now, Lord Jesus told you to pray our Father who's in heaven. It's like, Lord Jesus, 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 Jesus. All the songs about Jesus, 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 Jesus. It's like, really? Not even realizing that this whole mentality of Jesus, Jesus, is based on a concept of Jesus being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The idea that coming to Jesus, who comes in his Father's name, so that makes his Father name Jesus too. So when they pray, they pray to Jesus. And then finish the prayer in Jesus' name. And if you listen to people, and I'm not saying be critical, but listening to people's prayers. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to just let this cat out the bag so you know. When I ask you to pray, I'm identifying where you are. See, people don't want to pray around the pastor. They want the pastor to pray. After all, it's pastor, you pray, you pray. No, you pray. I know how to pray. Let's see if you know how to pray. Why are you nervous in praying? You're talking to God. Why are you talking? Why are you nervous? Why is it bothering you to be able to pray in somebody else's presence? I'll tell you why it bothers you to be able to pray in somebody else's presence, because you don't pray. If you prayed, if you got comfortable talking to your father, you would have no problem talking to your father in anybody's presence unless you're ashamed. What are you ashamed of? Well, I may not sound right. Well, who are you talking to? When you learn how to pray and talk to Father, when you develop a relationship with your Father in heaven, when you pray around people, they're going to say, that, that person there, they got, they connected. So what should we be doing? We should be getting connected. Getting connected. And so I ask people to pray. Every time I counsel couples, I'll have one pray and then I have the other one pray because I'm identifying where they are. People will tell you where they are if you listen to them. You don't have to guess. Just shut up. Let them talk. Out of the abundance of the heart, the, until you get that concept out of the abundance of the heart. No, they wasn't joking. That's in the heart. People say what's in them. And then once you say something, oh, I was just kidding. Oh, you was kidding. Then where did it come from? People will tell you where they are. If you listen, be quiet long enough, and they'll, they'll identify themselves. And now you know what you're working with. You can't work with it if you don't know what you're working with. You got people out there trying to catch fish, and they ain't got the right equipment. Trying to clean them before they get them in the boat. You see, before you can clean, you know, before you can clean a fish, you got to first catch them. Right? So this is eternal life. This is life eternal. What is eternal life? Knowing him. You can't have eternal life just believing in Jesus. 
This is why you're going to find throughout the New Testament, he's going to speak concerning the commandments of Jehovah, faith in Yeshua and keeping the commandments. Paul goes on later in John chapter in, in Romans and he tells us that, listen, is the law sin? Because some folks get, will have you believing that keeping the law is falling from grace as if the law is sin. The law is not sin. The law is holy. Why? Father gave it. The law is righteous. Why? Father gave it. The law is just. Why? Father gave it. He gave it to a people so that they can judge righteously. They can judge justly. You can't take on the mind of Messiah without the mind of God. The mind of God is his commandments. How are you going to think like him and you reject him? You can't. So he gives us his instructions because he's saying, Israel, here is the instructions you are going to govern yourself by. These are the rules. Don't add to them. Don't take away from them. Why? Because they're perfect. Just do what it says and you will live. Yeshua's response to the question asked Matthew 7, 19, verse 17. And he said unto him, why callest thou me good? There's none good but one. That is Elohim. But if thou will enter, now notice this statement, because you, you can run right by this real quick. That's why I bolded and underlined it. But if you will enter into life, if you will enter into life. Now, the very statement itself suggests that if you want eternal life, if you want to enter into this eternal life that comes from the Almighty, here's how you do it. Keep the commandments. It's that simple. If you will enter into life, what was the question? How do I have eternal life? Well, if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Now, Yeshua taught that life was given by Jehovah and sustained by Jehovah and to enter into life could only occur by keeping the commandments of Jehovah. This is what was given to Moses to write. Pay attention to this. Leviticus 18.4. You shall do my judgments and keep mine ordinance to walk therein. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them. I am the Lord. Deuteronomy 30, 19. I call heaven at the end of Moses' life. He brought the children of Israel together. He says, listen, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death. What is life and death? The commandments. Life and death. Deuteronomy 28. All these commandments, if you do this, all these blessings will come upon you. If you don't, all these curses will come upon you. Life death. I'm calling on you today. And what I call heaven and earth, the only two places I'm concerned about. Now, if y'all want to get on the rocket with Bezos and, and uh, this other guy, hmm? no, the other guy who went to the moon, not, I mean, Brunson. If you want to go into space, 
with those guys, and that's fine. But heaven and earth, I'm cool with. The moon, you can have it. I'll enjoy it from here. <laughs> right? Certainly ain't trying to get to the sun. Don't even want to get too close to it. Matter of fact, I don't even want to get too close to me. Not interested in Jupiter and Saturn and Neptune and any of those other spaces and places. I know folks want to go there. Y'all can have it. Heaven and earth. That's where Yeshua declared all power. So as long as I stay in, on earth and heaven, wherever that is in that expanse, in that, in that space where the Almighty dwells, then I'm good. So he says, I have put, I have called heaven and earth to record this day against you that I've set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Therefore do what? Choose life that both you and your seed shall live. That thou mayest love the Lord thy Elohim and that thou mayest obey his voice and that thou mayest cleave unto him for he is thy life and the length of thy days that thou mayest dwell in the land which Jehovah Elohim swore unto your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Israel to give them. And then Luke wrote this in Acts, speaking of Jehovah. For in him, if you look at the verses above and look at the verses beneath, you'll see that what Luke is, he's not talking about Jesus, he's talking about Jehovah. In him we live and move and have our very being. In him, we live and move and have our very being. As certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Back to Matthew 19, verse 18, he says unto him, which Yeshua says, thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and, and thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said unto him, all these things I've kept from my youth up, what lack I yet? Yeshua said unto him, if thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast and give it to the poor. Notice he didn't say go sell it again and bring it to me. But he knew what he was working with. Go and sell it and give it to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And then he says these words, then come, follow me. Now, you'll notice that there are certain people who wanted to follow him, and he says, no, you know, go and tell, you know, the people what has happened to you. But in this particular instance, he's saying, listen, come and follow me. This is the second time you should use that Greek word perfect. In Matthew, it says in five, chapter 5, verse 40, it says, be ye therefore perfect. As your father, which is in heaven, is perfect. Well, how am I going to be perfect apart from my father who is in heaven? And how am I going to be perfect as my father who is in heaven? Because when father gave his commandments to his people, he gave himself to them. You got to get this. When he gave them the instructions to build the tabernacle, guess what? He says, I want to dwell in the midst of them. And now here's how y'all going to minister to me. Because I'm going to minister to you. I'm going to go before you. 
I'm going to be your rear guard. I'm going to fight your battles. I'm going to deal with your enemies. I'm going to give you heat at night with my fire. I'm going to shelter you from the sun in the day with my cloud. I'm going to go before you, lead you, guide you, direct you. All you got to do is follow me and obey my commandments. If you do that, you will live, not just you, but your seed, your offspring. And then he instructs the offsprings, offsprings, because just as your parents have a responsibility to teach you, you have a responsibility to honor them. Honor your father, honor your mother. Parents, train your children. If you do that, this is where perfection in him comes. I'm not talking about doing everything perfect, but it's like David talked about your law is perfect. See, I'm going to hide it in my heart so that I don't sin against you. See, David understood the only thing that can separate us from him is sin. What is sin? Lawlessness, disobeying his law. Because he, he's obligated. Listen, brothers and sisters, here's where the insanity of the church is. He says, when I send my word, when my word departs out of my mouth, it goes and accomplish, where is that at in the New Testament? Where is that at? So if he's sending his word, what word is he sending? The words that he spoke to Moses to give to the children of Israel. If you keep these commandments, you will live. If you keep these commandments, you will prosper. If you keep these commandments, you will make your way prosperous. If you keep these commandments, you will be successful. You may not have the success the world talk about, but you got a kingdom success that the world will envy. Because see, you ain't worried at night about somebody trying to steal your stuff. The Almighty know how to take care of you. Be perfect. Yeshua says, be perfect as I am perfect. No, be perfect as your father, which is in heaven. Is perfect. Yeshua invited the man to follow him. Now, but when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for why? He had great possessions. Then said Yeshua, now you need to pay attention to this too. That's why I bolded and underlined it. Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly. It's not that it's impossible. It's not that rich people can't be saved. But here's the thing about people with money. People who got money try to control people. They don't understand the purpose of money. They want to buy people. They'll put their faith and their trust in their money, in their resources. They'll try to show off to other people. There are people out there who want you to see their prosperity their success. Those are worldly people. Worldly people want you to see their prosperity. I remember, man, when I was in the world, I'd buy these fake gold chains. You bling out. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. You just bling out. 
Forget the fact that your neck's turning green. You bling out. You want to bling out your car, bling out your clothes. When you walk, you want people to think you got something and you ain't got a pot to pee in. But see, once you get stuff, it ain't about trying to show it off to other people because you really don't want them to know. You know why you don't want them to know? Because they're going to come begging. See, people who ain't got are looking to those who do got, and if they can't talk them out of it, con them out of it, then they'll try to break in and steal it. But folks ain't breaking into something unless they think something's in there. And so all these folks running around here fanning their money on Facebook and, and on the internet and, you know, just trying to show off all your currency. Guess what? You are an invitation to a busted head. I'm not going to be waiting outside your apartment and you're wondering why you got hit, jacked up. Man, I can't believe somebody broke in my house. Really? You can't believe it? Let's think back for a moment. Here's the video. You remember this? You got your stack. Remember that? Well, is it possible that somebody who had wrong intentions saw that and wanted that? Be careful. So he says, Harley, and the word there is with difficulty. You sure did not say it was impossible for the rich to enter into the kingdom. He said it would be with difficulty. You cannot buy your way in, folks. You cannot earn your way in. You must become his little children. You must put your faith and confidence in Yeshua being sent by Jehovah to make eternal life to those who would put their trust in him and keep the commandments of Jehovah. Verse 24. And again, I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed. Now this is when I read this, I've read this several times, but when I read it this time, there was a question. Why were they amazed when he's, because he said that. Then I had to remember. I had to remember that the disciples themselves were businessmen. And possibly wealthy. When you look at Peter, Andrew, his brother, James and John, their business partners were all in the fishing business. They own boats and property. And then Matthew was a tax collector. And remember, there was one tax collector. He had so much money. He saw Yeshua coming. He went and jumped up and climbed a tree just so he can get a picture of, you know, get a glimpse of him. Yeshua said, hey, Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm coming to your house. Well, I remember him. He was a tax collector. He said, oh, you know what? I'm convicted. All that money I got from, I'm going to give it. Because he'd been ripping people off. See, tax collectors. <laughs> so you got businessmen, a tax collector. The others, we don't know what they did as far as employment is concerned. But these five, we got good insight. Because Peter, you know, the disciples are saying, holy. If they didn't have wealth, then that question 
that statement would not have bothered them to the point to where they would make the statements that they made. But Yeshua beheld them and said unto them, with men, this is impossible, but with Elohim, all things are possible. And then he began to list some stuff. Then answered Peter and said unto him, behold, we have forsaken all. Well, what have they forsaken? If they ain't had nothing. And they didn't just leave. They were fishing. They left their boats. They left their nets. And we don't know how many employees they had. We know they had James and John work with them, the sons of Zebedee. They were in, in partnership with them. But I suspect they had employees. I suspect they had some place because if you get fish, you, you got to take them to the market. Right? If that's your business. Now, maybe you got a marketplace for your fish. The point is, Yeshua's statements troubled them to where Yeshua had to assure them. Peter said, we've forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have? <laughs> I mean, I don't mind giving it up, but what's it going to benefit me? And this is what led Yeshua. Now, let me, let me just jump on this real quick. The word forsaken has several meanings. To send away, to bid going or depart of a husband divorcing his wife, to send forth, yield up, to expire. We know these things don't comply because Peter Eventually, when they went back up into the Galilee, they went into Peter's house. His mother-in-law was sick. Yeshua ministered to them, and then she got up and started serving them. So Peter didn't, didn't forsake his family as far as saying, you know, I'm leaving my children. I'm leaving my wife. I'm turning my back on all of that, and I'm going to follow Yeshua, and that'll be my life from now on. No. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that if the Almighty says to you, you need to go down there, you got to be willing to let go of your wife and your children for a period of time in order to fulfill that calling. Any evangelist whose wife don't travel with them, if they're going to be a traveling evangelist, they either got to get some means where they bring their family with them or they go out and come home, go out and come home, you see. That's what most ministers who have itinerant, they set their itinerary, they go out, minister, preach, and come home. And hopefully, when they're out there, they ain't establishing another family. They ain't got no chick on the side, no concubine, because you'd be surprised. But what he's saying here is that we for say we've left, we've left, we're following you. We're doing what you're saying. And then further to go away, leaving something behind to leave one by not taking him as a companion. We're going to get into it where, you know, Paul is saying, listen, there's some ministers, they take their wives with them when they go ministry. Some wives don't want to go, especially if they got children at home. They stay, you go, we'll be here, we'll take care of the home, keep things running, just leave a little, little money, make sure we can feed, take care, you go out every now and then, you see, and a good husband is going to make sure everything is provided for before they just go run off. 
right? Yeshua said unto them, verse 28, Verily I say unto you, that you which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel, and everyone that has forsaken. Now, it seems as if he's starting to list, because it's the same word, the things that the disciples had left. Everyone who have left houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. That's Matthew chapter 19, verse 28. And so if you've left any of that stuff behind, and when I read this, I, I started thinking about Job and what Job went through and not forsaking the almighty in the midst of his trouble. And, and he lost a lot, but in his lifetime, while he was yet living, everything that he had lost in his faith in the almighty, the almighty restored. He restored it all. Luke states it this way, who shall not receive manifold more in this present time. And in the world to come, life everlasting. So he's saying to his disciples, he says, listen, if you put yourself in the situation, I can imagine, you know, if I'm in business and my business is to provide for my family and I'm in the fishing business and I've invested all this money in buying these boats and in, in buying these nets and, and maybe employing some folks. And now here come Yeshua. And then, cause see, you all would think that they just say, Hey, you know what? I'm out of here. No, it wasn't like that. I would dare say that they put somebody else in charge and they left. Now they got to trust somebody to take care of their business. But then I can hear now Yeshua is saying after Peter's questions, like, you know, we, we've left everything. We've left it all. And Yeshua is saying to them, listen, what you are going to see as a result of following me is going to be the restoration of all that stuff while you are alive. Your business is going to prosper. Your home is not going to go without. You will see it in this life. So for those of you who are waiting on the good old by and by, I'm telling you better wake up because the almighty wants you to experience the abundance of life now and not allow the stuff to get in between you and him, but to put everything in its proper perspective so that you can continue to grow, expand, <laughs> and enjoy while you're alive. So you got, you got something to look for while you're here and you got something to look forward to when you're no longer here. This is what he's saying in the world to come life everlasting. So you get it on both, on both sides. Mark adds, but ye shall receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come, 
eternal life. Now, Luke doesn't mention persecution. Matthew doesn't mention persecution, but Mark somehow gets persecution in there. And one might ask from whence cometh the persecution. See, the persecution could come from within one's house and or from those outside of your household. Remember Yeshua's words earlier. And see, here's why it's important, parents. There's something that father etched in my mind way back in the Baptist church as to why it was important for me to make sure that my children were in church, that we prayed, that they had a knowledge and understanding of the Bible. And he gave me this illustration. Now, this is my testimony on this. He gave me this illustration. He showed me a cliff that the world was headed to the cliff because he, the spirit of suicide, I would be surprised if anybody in this room have never experienced a thought of suicide of some kind. Whether you, you had a thought of running your car off the bridge, a head-on collision with somebody else, putting a gun to your head, or some manner of taking one's life, dealing with the issues or the thought that the world would be better off without you. Being under so much pressure wanting to give up. Maybe you didn't have an idea of how you're going to kill yourself, but the thought of not wanting to go on, life being too hard to bear, and the sad thing about it is a whole lot of people take their lives. And what Father showed me in the illustration he gave me is that the world is heading to a cliff. The world is heading to a cliff. Some people are going to jump. The only ones that are not going to jump are the ones who think that there is another alternative than killing themselves. And that's where they come to that place of surrender. This is where you hear people say, you know, under that pressure, God, if you're real, if you're really there, life has gotten so bad to where the only thing they got left is to call on him. Well, how did they know him? If you ain't put him in them, what's to stop them? Some of you, you've got children. Some of you all, when you were a child, have threatened suicide. What stopped them? What's the difference between them who threaten suicide and them who commit suicide? What stops them? Because they're all having some of the same issues, the same pressure. What stopped us? What stopped you? And this is putting that word in them gives them a stopgap before they jump. It's like, okay, you know, Father, God, whatever your name is, <laughs> Yeshua said earlier, think not that I've come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I'm come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth, and here's, here's the clincher. 
He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Now he said this in Matthew chapter 10. We're in Matthew chapter 19. His disciples are hearing all this because they're there with him. And these words, I'm sure they were comforting to him because I can imagine Peter coming home and finding his mother-in-law sick. And here he, he, he's been out all this time with this powerful Messiah who's healing people. And he come home and his own mother-in-law sick. But sometimes, you know, you, you making sacrifices and sacrificing your family for the world. And it's like your family seems to be being neglected, which is another word for forsaken. Neglecting the family to reach the world. The father is saying, listen, I got your family. If you're about my business, I got your mom. He says either, you know, you ain't forsake. You haven't neglected anything because everyone who has in this life will receive. Finally, he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. And then finally, but many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. And so he's speaking to his disciples. It's like, you know, just like the man, you know, when he told the parable about the workers in the, in the field, some came in the morning. Some came in the middle of the day, and some came right before the day was over, and they all got paid the same thing. And some folks who were first got upset because the people who came last got the same amount they got. Don't get upset because of what somebody else gets. Be thankful for what you have. Be glad your name is in the book. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at arthurbaileyministries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints.